Welcome to the Animal Control Report with your hosts, Ashley Bishop and Daniel Ettinger. How you doing, Bishop? I'm here. I'm here. It's if for those of you that are just turning tuning in, this is your first episode. Bishop and I both recently went under the knife. We're broken. We're both broken. So uh, bear with us as we continue to try to bring you some animal control related content, animal shelter related content, just the stuff in that in that forum. Uh, check out our website, keepithumane.com, keepithumane.com forward slash the, or let's try that again, keepithumane.com forward slash, <laughs> wow. Uh, this Animal is, control report? Well, no, that too. This is what happens when you're, I'm telling you, I don't <laughs> sleep anymore. This is tough. <laughs> Everything's so hard. Uh, I'm trying to promote our podcast network. So keepithumane.com forward slash podcast network. And that way you can see some of the other cool, the other cool podcasts that are out there with similar when i say similar like animal welfare related content you have the community cats podcast you have the don't f up the crime scene animal control related crime scene stuff and then of course you have the animal welfare junction which is great as well so all three of those are super super cool yeah and And we've had all of them on our podcast as well we have we have and maybe we'll get them back this year we have a full slate uh we're actually so this is our i think 209th episode season five and we're pretty fully booked through I, somebody even booked through September of 2024 to get on the program. So we're booked. We have a full year of podcasts for you. We're excited to have you as, as listeners, please like rate, share the podcast, check us out on Facebook, the animal control report. You can now watch us on Spotify and YouTube. So both, uh, both have video options. So check that out. And before we go any further, just got to, Quick read from our sponsor, Tomahawk Live Trap exceeds customers' expectations by providing them with the highest quality, humane animal control products available. Check out their new Pro Series Gravity Door Trap. They feature a door that sets automatically when you open it. No hook or plate setting needed. Use discount code KEEPITHUMANE for 10% off your li- your order at Livetrap.com. Again, keep it humane for 10% off your order at Livetrap.com. Great stuff. Great stuff they have to... over there. Not only do they have great equipment, but the people that work there, um, we've been to several conferences with Kyle and let me tell you, like he is all about animal control, like everything that we've ever talked about on the podcast about wanting to be unified and everything. He is all about like advocating for us. So absolutely great company, great people. Yeah. I got an email from Jenny. I'll be shooting you an email back there, Jenny. So thank you for reaching out. She's also with LiveTrap. So again, check it out, LiveTrap.com. Great people. So today it's a bit, the Bishop and Ettinger show again, and <laughs> we're going to do something a little different. Uh, you know, we've we've had 200 plus programs and we've talked about it a little bit, but we've never truly like really dug into the whole euthanasia, new, euthanasia subject the I'm, I'm telling you these words are not working for me today <laughs> ever we, we talk about euthanasia in certain aspects but we've never really talked about euthanasia and so today i wanted to kind of get into that a little bit uh, just as like a general overview maybe you're somebody that's new to the industry maybe you're somebody that doesn't have to euthanize so i want to talk about all those things and <clears throat> and really just kind of take it take it forward from there with you bishop with your vet tech uh, background. Mm-hmm. How was euthanasia taught to you? Um, well, I had a lot of experience with it 
prior to the vet tech okay. stuff. Um, so, I mean, we learned about it in, in class, but it was a lot more probably dealing with it when we actually did our externship. So we had to do a three month externship at the end of our school. Okay. Um, and so if you were exposed to it within the vet clinic at that point, that's probably a little bit more where we got into it. But I've also taken the uh, euthanasia certification class. Through who? Who'd you take that through? Oh, Dan, that was 10 years ago. I don't remember. <laughs> well, let, let's like, I think that's, that's good for our starting point is when you think about it, I can't say this is actually accurate for every agency, but most agencies will have you get certified on the practice of euthanasia through some sort of training. I know when mm -hmm. I started uh, in Denver, actually before Denver, before Denver, I think I took a course called euthanasia by injection, and it may have actually been put on by the HSUS Apps? at that time. No, this was, okay. this was 14 years ago. Uh, I can't recall who put it on, but they follow certain guidelines. And if you are interested, the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Act. A Association. Thank you. That AVMA.org. <laughs> AVMA.org <laughs> has euthanasia guidelines. So a lot of training is based off of what the AVMA is going to, to recommend for euthanasia. So you go through this class and it's a lot of just academics, right? Understanding, um, I would say like the uh, amount to use. So like measurements versus the weight of the animal, the type of animal where to euthanize. There's, mm -hmm. there's three places uh, that we typically use injection. And what, what are those three places, Bishop? Uh, IV, so, so through the veins. Yep. Um, interperitoneal, which is into the cavity of the stomach, and that not directly in the stomach, but yeah, in that cavity. area. Thank um, you for or, saying that because I was not going to be able to say that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and intercardiac, so a direct uh, heart stick. So those are the three main areas of where you're going to inject an animal with the barbiturate. So we'll, we'll get into that here in a second, what kind of drugs are used for that. When we talk about other methods of euthanasia acceptable, hmm. what, what are those? Do you know? Um, so one of them is, uh, with the use of a firearm, as long Correct. as it is a single shot kill. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe in certain circumstances, um, Carbon monoxide is also still allowed yeah. to some degree as long as the animal can be sedated prior to. It is. That's that's correct. And I don't I don't know if it has to be sedated. We'd have to dig through this guidelines. However, it's 121 pages. So Oh, I've dug through it. <laughs> and that's why I'm I'm I want to say they have to have some kind of sedation prior to. Um I'm trying to think of it's those three. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that there's really anything because the um, decompression chambers were outlawed. And as we talked on the show before, I mean, euthanasia goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Animal shelters in the 1800s, so just like 150 years ago, in some aspects, even early into the early 1900s, <clears throat> would put dogs 
in iron cages and soak them, dunk them cats too. They would dunk in them the in water. rivers. Yep, rivers, lakes, etc. Uh, or so. they'd have uh, a trailer that they'd hook up to the um, back of a vehicle and have a pipe go from the exhaust into the trailer. You know, I busted somebody before I left Denver in 2022 uh, that did that with a raccoon. Uh, it took it took the mother raccoon trapped trapped her, and then hooked the trap. I'm pretty sure he put a bag on the trap, hooked the trap up to uh, his his muffler and killed her and left the four four or five raccoon pups to basically die on their own you know <sighs> he was charged and he pled he pled guilty so okay yeah yeah but so when we talk about the methods but the the methods that if you're getting into animal control or you're getting into shelter work the method that's going to be most common to you is going to be the barbiturate. And so we'll get to that here in a second. Some agencies may use a firearm for wildlife and even possibly some rural agencies that deal with livestock may have a bolt gun or a firearm that they use in that aspect to, to put down one of those large animals as well. So when you think about all that kind of stuff, it's just important that we have to, you have to know all the things. And so typically the, the two methods that <clears throat> Two out of the three methods you talked about, the I, I, we'll refer to them as IC for intercardiac, IP for inter... Peritoneal. And then <laughs> IV. IV for intervenous, <laughs> right? So for intervenous, you technically don't need to sedate. For right. IC, it's actually written into law in California that you have to, unless there's like mitigating circumstances, but to do a heart stick, you do need to sedate prior and I would think the same with IP, but it's not it's not standard everywhere. Yeah, it's more ideal to be sedated for IP as well. And when people think about this, like, whoa, why wouldn't you sedate for an IV? Most of the times when you're doing it, it's an animal that's close to the end stages of life at that point. Doing it without any sort of sedation fluid. Um that's that's been my experience. Even if it's an animal that's like younger and, and really good natured, typically you do a some sort of sedation prior. But if it's an older animal, it's you know lateral. It it doesn't stand, etc. Uh, I've I've been a part of many euthanasias that uh, you just do the IV. I I don't even know that it necessarily has to do with that because I believe that um, going IV it actually has a sedation to it like automatically yeah when it's when it's going across that uh the brain barrier okay the blood brain barrier i believe it actually has some sedation versus the intercardiac you're you're stopping that muscle which is stopping the blood flow to the brain um and so it would basically suffocate at that point but with iv i believe it actually gives them some sort of a sedation effect See, this is why you have the vet tech background. <laughs> so let's talk a couple, like, let's just kind of lay out the drugs in, in the process here. So first and foremost, I think you'll hear a lot, like humane euthanasia is something that's thrown a lot around quite a bit, which is kind of it's saying this. Redundant. Thing. It is. <laughs> it, it, the more you want to be political, the more you can say it. Like it's a humane euthanasia. Okay. I get that. We we're down with, we're down with humane. Uh, as you can see, if you're watching the video, <laughs> however, 
it is it is redundant because it's a good death right euthanasia mm-hmm. is, is considered from a greek greek uh origin meaning good death in that aspect so <clears throat> when you when you think about that so typically what happens and this is just my experience bishop but uh, if if there's an animal slated for euthanasia, whether it's behavioral, whether it's medical, typically what you're going to do is go through, you're going to, this is a shelter setting. So I'm, I'm thinking about it more so in that aspect, right? So it's already going to be signed off by supervisors that review the animal, make sure there's no missing contact information for the owner to reclaim, make sure there's no, you know, microchips that haven't been checked those types hasn't bitten in the last 10 days also hasn't bitten in the last 10 days because of the, the 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 rabies aspect of it all right and so all those things are going to be like taken into account while you're doing it so there's a lot of paperwork on that end and then you're going to have a drug log right so you're going to find your drugs uh, you're going to find your drug log and you're going to you're basically going to weigh out the animal now the animal may have been weighed or there may be an approximate weight with with the premix, it's typically from what I've seen is a xylazine and ketamine combo, but a lot of places do it differently. What what did you use or what do you use at your agency? I don't I'm certified, but I don't do it. You don't euthanize. Okay. I have been trying to get the ability to just because of emergencies or something. Emergency circumstances. Yeah. Um but yeah, I end up either taking to a vet or, well, if it's a domestic animal, it goes to the vet or the Humane Society. Okay. So, and so then they, they would do it there if it needs mm-hmm. to be done. Well, yeah. typically with, with the pre-mix, it's something of that. It's going to be something, the xylazine-ketamine mix or just ketamine alone. I don't think they use xylazine alone on domestic animals. If I'm not mistaken, I've been told xylazine can give this very dizzying uh, kind of effect to the animals like a prior to, to, to them losing somewhat of a consciousness. Um, and so that's, that's something that's like interesting to, to understand, like when we do this, this pre-mix, when we inject them first to put them, to make them unconscious, then we have to wait for that to kick in. In some aspects, you don't have to wait for it to fully kick in. If you're doing an IV stick, if you're doing an IP or an IC stick, then you're going to want to wait that to make sure that they're all the way under sedation. And Bishop, tell them, please tell our listeners, please, how that what that looks like. Um, so you're going to have things that you won't see anymore. Um, you're if you do like a toe pinch, they're mm-hmm. not going to pull their toes back. Um, if you touch the inside of their eye, they're not going to have a blink reflex um, or even the little hairs in the ear that make their ear twitch. You won't get those types of reflexes. And so if you're doing an uh, inner, inner cardiac, you're going to wait for one, like pretty much all or, or one of those things to really confirm it. You're not like if you pinch between the toes and you get a reaction, you're going to wait a little longer mm-hmm. and it's okay to overdose in some aspects. We were always told by our, our chief veterinarian at the time to, I mean, these drugs are pretty cheap, just OD. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we would do that. And then that process can take a good anywhere between three to, to 10 minutes, depending on the animal, I would say to get it fully under. Right. And so when you do the, the, the premix, the ketamine xylazine, it typically burns. So when you inject the animal with that, 
as much as we want to make it as as humane as possible and, and and bring apart a just an environment that is like good for them it's it's still hard because like you have to restrain them in some way because you're hitting mm -hmm. them with a, a shot that's going to burn right so they're going to react in all the years that i've i've had to euthanize which is several uh, thankfully, I never had a dog come back at me, but I've heard many, many stories where they have uh, because of that premix solution that, you know, being restrained, getting shot with that, that solution, and then, um, you know, reacting, and then you have to do things a little bit different. So you, you get them with that, you let that stuff settle in. And so for me, my process would would have been and shout out to actually one of the old supervisors I used to work with, he kind of taught me and he didn't intentionally teach me. He just, I was euthanizing with him one day. And after he gave the shot, he would always take the dog outside on a quick walk, you know, not too far because he didn't want to have to try to carry it in. Because as you know, once you hit, you know, once, once the drugs start to take effect, uh, that animal gets a, a, you know, it goes down pretty fast. Right. Yep. So he would always take them out. That's something that I think is really just, it's nice to them to not, remember their last thought necessarily being a sterile environment with bright lights. Now I may be humanizing that a little bit, but. I guess I would personally have a few concerns with that. Um, you know, the event that you're exposing them to a potential oops of, okay, did another animal run up to them or something? Mm -hmm. And so now what happened? Oh, we have a bite case now. It was a pretty controlled area though. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying, but it was, it wasn't like another animal could come unless it was like a squirrel or a bird. Okay. Yeah. Although they do say that the medications tend to work better in a quiet, calm, dark environment. Yeah. I believe that. I believe that because the heart rate's lower and stuff. Yeah. So then once they're down, uh, you know, you would typically with the intravenous it's it, on dogs and cats too. It's typically done on one of the front front legs. What you do is you have somebody hold. Uh, the, again, the animal is is asleep, so there's not going to be a, a big concern of them like waking up and reacting. But you have them kind of create a tourniquet with their thumb in the way that they hold and twist, and that way the vein gets exposed. A lot of people, and I recommend it, especially you know early on, or if you're dealing with a thick thick coated animal is to shave the area uh, on the on where the vein is mm -hmm. and then we we hit it with an alcohol uh, to help you know make it pop out a little bit more the rubbing alcohol and then you put the needle in and if you're good well first i should say this when you draw your euthanasia solution so we talked already about the premix right ketamine xylazine mm -hmm. typically your euthanasia solution is a brand called Euthazol or a brand called Fatal Plus. Those mm -hmm. are the two that I know of. Fatal Plus seems to be the fan favorite. I hate to use those words, but Euthazol takes longer, takes more. It's just not as easy to use. And so Fatal Plus is sodium pentobarbital. And what that does is it like, what's it do, Bishop? Doesn't it go into your heart and like basically like essentially clogs all the heart with like it like makes the blood really thick. So it's that I don't remember. Okay. So it stops flowing. Right. So it's like, just creates almost like concrete in your blood and the animal then passes away. Um, 
But when you do this, so when you're when you're putting the IV in, when you draw your solution, if it's a 50 pound dog, you typically do about five or six cc's um, or millimeters, milli, millimeter, milliliters. milliliters. That's it, milliliters. I use the word <laughs> cc, milliliters. When you when you put it in and get the solution, you're going to get a new needle. A lot of times you do that just because the needle stays, it, it loses, it gets dull when it goes in that rubber thing. A lot of people are using IVs now. They just place an IV into it. Like a catheter, an IV catheter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. IV catheter. That's cool. So once you get, it's, it's not easy. I'll tell you what, uh, hitting that vein the first couple times can be difficult, but once you start to get the hang of it, you're like, okay, I can do this. And so uh, basically when you get in there, you're going to have the eye of the, the needle facing upwards. So if you think about a needle, it has like almost like a, it's you, beveled. Yeah. Thank you. It's beveled. And so the, the bevel part, the eye is going to face up. So when you go into the. Hmm? I was going to say it, the way it was always described in class is sure the eye of it, but if you just take the longest part of the end and yeah. always have it, even with the leg or, well, you're going to either do it leg or jugular doubt. You're going to do jugular for this, but you keep it even the long part with the leg so that the point goes in first. Yep, exactly. So when you get the point in there, if you're good, you're going to get a flash. So you're going to see that red blood kind of hit the front of the syringe, like right kind of start to fill it up. The holder is going to let go. Hopefully the holder's experienced. If not, you're going to tell them, hey, let release. And then you're going to slowly start to inject that fluid. Now, sometimes the vein can blow. Mm, mm -hmm. that. What Do you know what causes that? I don't know. Too much air? No, know. not a, not just too much fluid at once. Okay. And I mean, veins have various um, strengths in different areas. So if the vein starts to blow, you'll start, you'll see it under the skin. It'll start to ball yeah. up right there. And then you have to stop, pull out and go above that area uh, to, to re-hit the vein. And hopefully you don't. So when you start, you never want to go too high to like the, when, when you're doing the front leg, you never want to go too high to like the pit of the animal. Uh, that way, if you do blow a vein, you have at least probably two, two more attempts after that in that same, same region before going to the next, to the next leg. Typically, typically you don't have to do that, uh, but there are times where, where it does happen. Thankfully, more or less than, than not. I don't know, is that the right way to say it? It happens less than not. Well, and it, it it's hard too, because if you're going to be euthanizing an older animal, their veins are a lot more fragile if mm -hmm. you have an animal that is dehydrated in any way it's harder to see the veins um and superstition here but whatever you do don't ever look at the animal and go oh i can see it this will be easy because you will <laughs> never hit it <laughs> it's not easy and i you know we haven't talked about i kind of wanted to get into the the psyche of it but i wanted to be practical first like this is a medical operation right or a mm -hmm. medical may i wouldn't say operation but a medical procedure procedure yeah a medical procedure and so it's rare 
that people do this. Like this is a very rare thing. Now in our profession, it's not rare, but outside of our profession, outside of slaughterhouses and outside of animals that are part of medical, what do you call that? Like they use them for, you know, like test medical testing and stuff like that. Like, like not many labs. Yeah. Not many people are paid to, to euthanize, to kill, kill another thing, which is, it's, it's tough. Uh, but we'll get into that here in a second. So, uh, you get your needle in, you pull back, not all the way, but you pull back just a tiny, tiny bit to see, did, are you in the, are you in the vein? Did you go through the vein? Sometimes you can pull back on the needle just a little bit. Typically you only need one hand syringes in your, your dominant hand, usually while you're holding the, the leg pull back with that same hand usually, and then push in. And then the, once all the solutions in there, IV usually within the first 60 seconds, if you use the right amount of solution, that animal is all the way out or all the way dead, I should say. And you can listen with a stethoscope. You just put that on, listen to the heart. And once you get confirmation of death, right, you have to then dispose of the animal properly, however your agency does it. I know a lot of places, not so much vet clinics, but um, shelters and that that would even still take, even if they did it IV, um, which is usually a little bit easier on the animal. Um, and, and honestly, psychologically, a little bit easier on the people Person. doing it yeah. um, compared to intracardiac. Um, but I know a lot of places that'll actually, even after IV, they'll do a, uh, IC stick just to make sure. Cause you'll be able to see the, yeah, the, the syringe, the syringe will move back and forth with the heartbeat. So that's the mm -hmm. way I was actually taught the, we, when I got into the industry and started to do euthanasia, we had a lot of feral cats that we would euthanize every, mm -hmm. every morning we weren't doing TNR. And so we would sedate. And then, gosh, that was just med, med, medlam. No, that's not a word. Bedlam? Mayhem. That too? Feral cats, like trying to get them and then, and then sedate them. That was rough. Anyway, so then once they were sedated, we would line them up and then do the heart sticks. So you would, you, once you like, it's the same idea or method. You locate the heart typically using your, your fourth, your, pointer finger or your thumb that's how i would locate it just feeling on the chest cavity you can even move their elbow left use their left front leg bring it back to the chest and usually where the elbow is that should be right about where the heart is in the opening in the between the ribs yeah and they're laying on their right side so good point right that up too and then once you locate it you same kind of concept you stick the needle in draw back just a little bit you want to make sure there's blood. Now there's a difference between like really dark red and bright red blood, what, mm -hmm. de depending on what cavity you're in inside the heart. I don't know the specifics. I just know that I was able to pull back, confirm there was a heartbeat, and then you would leave the needle, like you would inject it, but you leave the needle and syringe in the heart and you just watch it. And it just mm -hmm. tips like a heartbeat. Like if you can imagine a syringe moving at a heartbeat's pace and then eventually it just stops. Right. And then you yep. know that the animal is deceased. And then IP, when you do that, when you inject in the stomach region area, kind of with a somewhat of an upward motion with the IV, 
uh, you pull back and you get a vacuum. You don't want to get any sort of solution or fluid uh, in, in that. So that's an empty one. And then you just inject uh, IP. You have to use three times as much, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Three times and as much. A lot of times you're using that on more like something like your neonates and uh, rats and mice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, things like that, that you're not going to be able to get an IV or IC stick. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of just like the general process of euthanasia from an animal shelter setting. Um, the whys behind it, you know, I've never, excuse me, I've never, to my knowledge, have been part of euthanasia because time or space it was mostly, or if not all, behavior and medical Mm, I've been involved with time and space. Well, not time, space. Okay. That's not easy, huh? No. And there was also um, medical. This was long before. I mean, we're talking 15, almost 20 years ago. Um, we had a ringworm outbreak. Okay. And... It was shelter wide. Okay. And so it got to the, like, we couldn't lime dip everybody or anything. So we went through and woods lamped everybody. And if they had anything that glowed. That they were. We went from, there was over a hundred cats, probably 30, 40 dogs down to 15 cats and a couple of dogs. Wow. Um, and then. 11 months later, we had the Khaleesi virus go Ugh. through our cat population. Same thing. Same thing. Everybody got euthanized. So let's, I think, transition into that aspect of it, like the more the emotional effects that it has on our profession or the people in our profession and just the effects in general when it comes down to like, you know, where we are societal and, and where we are personally and morally. Like I... I have no objections to euthanasia in the aspects of like public health and public safety. Right. Uh, I think, you know, the aspects of wildlife, unless that animal's truly suffering or shows like some sort of disease, kind of just my, my personal thought process on that is like, just leave it where it is. If you can circle of life and let wildlife be. Yeah. Because I mean, ultimately that's dinner for something else mm -hmm. out there. So for us picking it up, because somebody's like, oh, this bird can't fly. Well, I know. But if it's, you know, if it's truly not suffering and it can hop around and, you know, still get to its own shade and food sources and things like that, maybe it's okay that we allow nature to take its course. Because without without us, it would happen anyway. But right. when you get to the, you know, the animal that you impounded for an animal cruelty case, however, it just can't pass behavioral evaluations it's tough to have to put that animal down. Um, I have one that I can't talk too much about the case yet. It's still open. He, in, in particular, the person pled not guilty. Um, so it's going to go further. Um, but when the, it was, in, it had nothing to do with behavioral um, but it was in the best interest of the animal sure. to be euthanized. I 
I was given the opportunity by the shelter who had care of the animal. Um, they're like, hey, we're going to do this today. This this animal is suffering. We're going to do this today. Do you want to be there? And I said, yes. And Dan, I sobbed like a baby. Yeah. Like, and I'm not that person. I don't have, every once in a while, there's just that one animal that just hits different. Sure. And like, if <laughs> if anybody was at Taka, um, <laughs> I talked about that there and I even started crying uh, during my presentation um, because it still hits different and we're, you know, several months later. It's not the easiest thing. And I think that comes down to our own personal I think our own personal views of death, right? Uh, and and I, I respect everybody's viewpoint. I I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my own, you know, challenges or just stories about like there was a couple couple dogs. There was this really fat, super fat, like he was a body condition score like nine. He yeah. was a pity, like blue blue pity, kind of looked like a, just a big old hippopotamus. Dog was great with people, excellent with people, but he didn't pass the B-Val, behavior B-Val, because he was bad with other dogs. And so I just remember being real sad about that one. Mm-hmm. And I, st- I, I I remember like kind of following the process to know when his euthanasia date was going to be. And I, I went and grabbed him a, a hamburger from McDonald's uh, and some French fries and just let that dude have it. You know, I was like, here you go, mm-hmm. big fella. You know, and like, it's, it's, you know, the last, what do you say? Like the, a, like a nice last act, if you will, towards mm-hmm. that animal prior to ending its life. Cause we really don't know what happens after death. Like that's, it's subjective. People can be, can have their own thoughts, whether it's religious based, whether it's spiritually based, whether it's the unknown, maybe it's nothing. The reality is just, they're not, they're not in this consciousness anymore. So I, <clears throat> I'll share a story back in 2016, which is what now? How many, what year is this? Eight years ago. Mm-hmm. It was actually 2015. It was the winter, the winter of 15. So nine years ago, almost my dog, his name was dirt dog. And for those of you watching on YouTube or Spotify, <laughs> that's a photo. Look of at him. that smile. Great dog. That's actually, this photo is taken. Uh, moments before the euthanasia and I I just remember it was a behavioral call and he just he was about 11 years old and he started to kind of decline physically but also mentally we I was managing a shelter I had two young girls at the time we had a lot of kids over the house and he was unpredictable with behavior. And, and one night just randomly, he, he went after our cat. Thankfully he didn't cause any like true damage, but it was just so it was, it was almost extreme and uncharacteristic of him. And so I just remember, I just remember like really struggling with it that night. Like what is the, um, what should I do? What is the next, the next step in this, in this process, do I like figure out a way to keep him away from the kids? Like, is it responsible of me to like 
leave him at home, bring him to work, like where there are other animals and he's not friendly. Like, what do I do? I just, he and I went out on a long walk and I realized like the, the right thing to do. The only thing to do was to, to put him down. And I remember I took him to work with me that morning. I was working at a shelter in, in Eagle County, uh, shout out to Vail and all those places up there. I just remember bringing him to work and the girls and my ex-wife came by and I think they, they brought him. No, we, we, we grabbed him some canned cat food out of the shelter and just had him in the yard outside. And we, um, we said our goodbyes. Uh, I had to sedate him cause there was no way I was doing it any other way. And so we sedated him outside and, you know, the girls, they were pretty young. I mean, eight years ago now, almost nine years ago now, whatever. Um, you know, they're like five, four, and two. So they don't really remember. I actually asked my two-year-old if she remembers him at all, and she doesn't. And so I remember just bawling my eyes out during and after euthanizing him. And I, you know, I, I did everything. I, you know, got his body ready for cremation and I, there's no, I can't I can't make this stuff up and those of you that that know me have seen the picture before if you want to see the picture you can email the show daniel at keepithumane.com I go back we were short staffed that day so I go back to clean the shelter and I go outside and I look up and there's a dog shaped cloud like not even mm-hmm. like not even like somewhat subjective dog shaped cloud it's like a dog shaped <laughs> cloud it was unreal uh, within minutes after his passing. And so uh, that's definitely one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I know most people probably wouldn't euthanize their own animal. I just felt like with his behavior and kind of where we were in life, it was the most appropriate thing to do. So that one, that one was tough, very tough. Yeah. And I mean, it. our, our own animals, even for those of us that do it, our own animals still hit also hit differently. I mean, you, you have that connection. So nobody should ever feel like they are euthanizing animals and they're just either a, a monster or a feelingless entity. Like, you are likely euthanizing these animals because you either feel bad for them or you're concerned about them in one way or another, whether your concern is for their well-being or what they potentially can do. Like don't let anybody sit there and say that you don't have feelings. Like how many times do we get called cold hearted? Oh, you just euthanize everything. All the time. Like that is absolutely the exact opposite of anybody that I've ever known to euthanize an animal, whether it's their own or somebody else's. Yeah. I've never heard. I've never, I shouldn't say heard. I've never worked with anybody that was like, Hey, can I do all the euthanasias? Like I want to be the euthanasia technician. Now some agencies may have just euthanasia technicians, but I've never heard of like anybody in that aspect. I will tell you that regardless, whether it's your own animal or other animals, like it's, it's a task that 
we as humans have made necessary for multiple multiple reasons right uh, it is a it's just where we are societal and i know that there are hopes that we never have to do that again i, I think as i talk about access to care and getting resources and communities until we can really tackle that uh, euthanasia is always going to be part of the profession that we're in and it probably always will in some aspects when you think about just one health right like public safety public health that type of stuff uh, really having that connection there when you when you think about it so like it needs to be done it needs to be done respectfully i i can tell you so i never i never was part of this but just years before i started in denver they the officers would just do ic sticks without any sedation and typically what they would do is just <laughs> put the dog on a, on a leash, like a leash rope, not even like a collar. And just like someone would pick the dog up by like almost choking it, right? Like by its neck with the leash on it and just inject the solution right into the heart while the dog was alive, like, or not even just alive, but while it was like awake in that aspect. So that's like the definition of not being humane at all. Right. Right. Like having like this, almost assembly line if you will of just killing right just like picking them up what they're with their choke chain or it's not a choke chain but similar and and then sticking them in the heart so i think we've come a long way when it comes down to euthanasia that necessary evil if you will whatever you want to call it i i don't i don't think it's evil i think it's mm -hmm. a necessary side effect or a necessary part of the job because we just have so much that we were incapable of, of helping with. There's not enough staff, there's not enough resources and there's animals. I mean, even if you just look at end of life stuff too, like we're never going to get away from. Like an animal that's 14 and it's time to go or whatever. Yeah. yeah. A great Dane that's 14 and. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. But... Well, I mean, that's the thing is we know that it's a necessary part of this profession. I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it today. And hopefully it answers some questions, especially if you're like new in the profession, kind of what does that look like? How does that work? And, you know, just the process itself. Uh, it's, I'm sure some people remember every single animal they've euthanized. I, I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. I just know, I, I, I can say, I'll say this though. I can remember that each one that I go into, regardless of the animal's behavior, temperament, condition, et cetera, I treat it all the same. Like it's a, it's business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I try to remove any emotion from it. I don't want to say that I try to remove emotion. Um, again, I don't at this point in time do the euthanasias. Um, however, I'm involved still to some degree with you know, holding or, or whatever, uh, in a lot of them, the compassion. Yeah. That's a good word. Showing the animal, the compassion. That's every one of them. I often gotten... sit on the floor with them. Um, especially if they're not like super behavior risks. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'll often like, we'll have a towel on the floor ready for them, especially yep. if they're bigger. So they don't like just flap down and then just slowly, you know, pet them. Make yep. them feel as comfortable as you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk to them quietly, possibly. And 
offer them treats if they're hungry, if they want one, Yep. that kind of stuff. Well, I, one thing that I definitely do at this point is every dog gets some kind of chocolate, oh, like a little Hershey's kiss to, you know, no dog should ever die without ever tasting chocolate. there you go. <laughs> so. Did you watch that movie Strays? Speaking of, let's end this on a positive note. It's a movie. It's about no. I wanted to see it. I well, haven't this seen it. This yet. won't ruin anything, but they they think chocolate is their poop because <laughs> we always pick it up and put nice. it in bags, and then we put it in bags. <laughs> That's that movie's funny. that movie's cute. I mean, obviously, there's like a little dog catcher element of it. Whatever, we're never going to get rid of that. However, it was it was cute. So, well, with that, like that's. This isn't like the most fun episode in the world, but I'll tell you, it's a conversation that needs to happen. I can guarantee you there's really no content out here that talks about the process the way that we did. And I think it was important for us just to cover it. Yeah, I agree. If you have And any questions, I mean, worst, yeah. worst case scenario, if it's not somebody's cup of tea, they could have Don't shut listen it to off it. already and moved on to the next episode. They don't, they don't have to listen to it. So But if you have questions about the process, if you want any of those links, uh, as I mentioned, avma.org has a whole euthanasia guideline. And um, there's some other guidelines out there. There's not there's not just one. There's there's a lot of test not testing certification available too. Mm -hmm. We can forward you along that stuff as well if A you need it. lot of times with those certifications, you do not get the opportunity to um, To actually have a practical. participate, yeah, participate. Um, I know Humane Educators of Texas does provide that, which I think, as hard as that is, I think is actually fantastic. Um, Oh, it's necessary. There's no question yeah, about it. Yeah. I, I think everybody, you know, if you're going to take the class, you should have that so that you don't. get to a point where you're seen as oh you're trained so now you got to be by yourself or you know with other people that are I don't want to say uneducated but you know without experience and then get put in a situation where you know you're struggling with an animal so if you can find a training that you have the opportunity for a practical I would go that route Yeah, and check out Humane Educators of Texas. They do some great training, and they do. They work with some local shelters that, you know, again, they're making decisions based off of behavior, based off of health. They're not just going to grab any some some random animal, but it's just Right. there. There's a reason behind it. So, whew, that was a tough one, but it was a good one. It's one that Yeah. we definitely needed to have. So, thanks for all your input on it too. And join us next week. We'll have. Uh, somebody on i don't know i promise it won't just be bishop and i all 24 Even if hours you just say their name, it may not be them because our episodes get mixed up. So. <laughs> oh good point good point good point well we appreciate you listening please check out our website keepinghumane.com check out the podcast network keepinghumane.com forward slash podcast network also check out our sponsor that's livetrap.com tomahawk live traps livetrap.com use keep it humane for 10 percent off your next order and as Always, we like to say thanks for listening and helping people, helping people help <laughs> animals. help animals. You Yay! were going to say the other one. Keep it humane. I'm always going to say the other one.